Make sure that Luther's visible. He's staring right at me. No, he's staring at me. No. It's one of those pictures. One of those. <laughs> the movie's terrible. You only mentioned me once. What? Movie? Yeah. What do you mean? Oh, Luther was only mentioned once. Yeah, he was brought up quick. Just quick and passing in the district. I thought you were watching. Well, see, that, show, that actually proves the point, doesn't it? That he was only mentioned once. That's right. That's right. Was he mentioned along with other reformers, or was it just yeah, he, yeah, standalone I, section? Because I don't remember that. I believe uh, Sam Waldron brought him up talking about Luther and the Calvin reformers. Um, but uh, yeah, so it was very brief. I remember it. And it's funny we don't have any Lutherans in the film, but we did have a Lutheran help in the background of the film. So okay. But Luther is only mentioned only one time, I think, in passing in the in the history section. But. Well, why is that? Why don't you? Why didn't you give him more voice? What did Luther have to say about the spiritual gifts? No idea. <laughs> no idea. Come on, man! You made the movie. Yeah, I know. I was the producer, <laughs> though. I wasn't the the. Uh, uh, you know, so there's three of us: uh, myself, David Lobey, and Les Lanfear. And David was our our resident theologian. On yeah. this project, and, yeah, uh, yeah. That's the thing about making a film like this is you have to compile. I think we had ended up with twenty-seven voices, so twenty-seven people in this thing spoke, and so you have to weave all twenty-seven voices together to tell a coherent story. So it's uh, it was an it was an intense process, um, and uh, one that's like you've watched. I've watched it a million times, but at the same time, like if you ask me something very specific about it, oh, man, mm -hmm. I don't know. <laughs> Well, that's like me with revival. If you ask me specific moments in the film, and I've watched it numerous times, and I was sitting there in person for, well, yeah, every single one of those interviews, it, it's hard to recall. Oh, yeah. 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 Especially because you have, what you're seeing in the film is a small little segment out of probably an hour or two sure. of dialogue that that person said, and you're just getting these little snippets. Yeah, I mean, really, there's so much... And not doing, you know, that's not even counting the number of folks that we interviewed that just for time and, and narrowing it down just didn't make the final cut. But, yeah. you know, so you think each one of those guys at least gave us 45 minutes to an hour. And yeah. so there's a lot that doesn't make it into the final final thing. Um, you know, my pastor joked, he we didn't even interview him, but I said, you know, we had to redecorate the cutting room floor, so... Um, but yeah, it was it was a good process. It was it was this is my first rodeo. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but I feel like we just jumped right in the middle of like like someone just flipped the channel and turned tuned in and like they missed like half the story. Oh, of talking? Yeah. If you want an intro, I'll do it. No, I don't no, ever no. do it for anybody. <laughs> no. Hey everyone, this is Tim Cannon. Hey. Producer of Did I just, Cessationist. I think I just broke the fourth wall. <laughs> Looked at the camera, which we had, you know, you, you, like, you have to remind some of these guys, don't look at the camera. So it was, Oh, when you interview people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we had a problem with that with a few of our, um, a few of our uh, uh, interviewees. I don't remember exactly who, but I do remember people looking straight in camera. You'd have to redirect them away. Right. Like, no, 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 look here. And that's why it was helpful, like, 
David Wollen himself was there often interviewing. Dan Pugh would be asking questions. But having that physical person sitting there and asking the question and engaging with eye contact. Right. I will have to say, though, that my favorite style of um, interview format is where you have the interviewee looking, it looks like they're looking into camera mm. or just off to the side of the right. lens. It's like sitting right. Yeah, and so to me, I like that format a lot because it's, um, it's. I know they're not looking straight in my face like in camera, which is a bit uncomfortable. Right. And it, it absolutely changes the dynamic, but it's, it's not so distant as if... Um, well, probably the way that this podcast appears where I'm looking much more at like a 45 degree angle at you away right. from the camera. And that's just how people have always done it. I think the problem is, um, is that it's, um, it's a, kind of a lazy approach. It's like, oh, well, that's how they do it on the news. Mm. And that's how I've just always seen it. Um, so that's how we're going to do it. Right. So. And I would say we we fell into in the same thing with revival and and looking back I would I mean I wasn't the director so there's that but um, yeah if when I do another documentary film it'll be I, I just don't want it to have that same appearance sure it'll it'll look it'll stand out yeah the way that you frame these things it'll stand out and it'll I think for the viewer it makes them have the sense of like this is. This is being spoken to me a bit more directly than just to the uh, the off-screen interviewer. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's for me. It was um, yeah, there was there was three of us oftentimes in the room, and so and okay, who's going to interview this person this time? And so we you know you get to fight over who's going to sit in front of the person and speak. Uh, and you know, you're doing you're doing so much talking. But the none of that even, you know, there are interview styles where you see the interviewer make it into the, whether it's 2020 or things like that. But um, so there's a lot that just, you, as the viewer, you won't even see. Um, but as someone participating and creating it, sitting there, being there, it was a really great experience. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Get to meet your heroes. Yeah. Um, I don't think that people, um, what was I going to say? I don't think that people, meaning those of us in the filmmaking community, um, realize just how impactful and how much, uh, well, how, two things. Number one, how impactful it is our creative choices of composition and lighting. But number two is we forget ourselves that we have pretty much full creative license when it comes to how we set up the shot. And... Um, the clothes that we're wearing or that we have our guests wearing or the way that we light the shot. So, for example, if you watched, uh, what was it? So Tucker Carlson's doing like his own thing now, right? Yeah. But in one of his recent interviews, it was interesting, and I think as a filmmaker you would have picked up on this too, is that every time the camera was on his guest, it was, uh, you know, uh, torso up and the guest filled about a third of that frame. But then every time Tucker was asking a question, Tucker was smaller on a scale-wise in the frame, and then you you were seeing Tucker over the shoulder of the guest. And I thought that was really interesting because that was obviously a conscious choice because right. they could have framed both people 
the same, like we're doing for this podcast. But I actually thought before you got here, I thought maybe we switch it up where we take that camera and put it so that um, in every frame, the guest is present. Right. Either the face or the back, but it keeps that constant connection throughout that this is who it's about. Right. right? It's not about Tucker right. or it's not about me. It's about you. It's about the person sitting there. We'll try that next time. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, I was, it's, it's a bummer that you didn't get to experiment with with me. Um, but, uh, you know, it's funny you say as a filmmaker, this, you know, I, I feel so new. I feel like the new kid on the block. Um, so, so take us back then. So, yeah. okay, you were one of three producers on Cessationist. Um, you guys asked me to be a part, and I wasn't able to do it. You said, you said, no way, I don't want to be part of that. <laughs> I yeah. actually really wanted to do it, but I just started this job here at That's RHB, right. and I thought, I just can't be, I just didn't know if I, when I could find the time. Anyway, um, I am a bit disappointed that I wasn't part of the team because it sounds like you guys have worked pretty well together mm-hmm. for the most part. And um, But I'd love to hear the story of cessationist and how this came about and how you especially, you know, you're saying, oh, I'm such a rookie. I'm new at this. This is my first time at bat, as it were. So the question then is, well, how in the world did you even get into it? Because it right. seems like a pretty important film. Yeah, so it goes, I mean, it's like we could we could go way back to, um, I met my partner, David Lovey, at uh, Together for the Gospel 2018 through uh, uh, Matt Robinson, who used to be at Media Gratia. And um, to go back even further, um, I had lost... Uh, my younger brother to a heroin overdose in 2016. Shortly after that, I started looking into um, any kind of uh, study study material or any kind of like Bible study stuff that would reach people who struggle with addictions, like my brother did. And so I had just watched Logic on Fire, and I had just started getting into Behold Your God, the, the first one they put out. And uh, so I reached out to Media Gratia and said, "Hey." This is kind of where I'm at. Um, I lost my brother. Do you guys have any materials or know of any place where I can find that? And and Matt friended me personally on Facebook privately and said, hey, I've lost friends to to heroin as well, and, and so I know what you're going through. And, and so he just became a friend. And um, when Together for the Gospel 2018 came around, he knew I was in the Louisville, Kentucky area, and he reached out and said, hey, why don't you come have dinner with us? And so I show up, and... Meet he, him and the crew from Media Gratia and uh, Pat Daly from from Banner of Truth was there and um, so I just totally felt out of my element. But everyone was super kind and just really friendly. And uh, my now partner David was sitting on my left and he was just just a riot. And we just got along. We became instant friends. And uh, and so we after the conference was over, we just talk on the phone and talk about Logic on Fire and talk about the Lloyd Jones family and his close connection with them and. I said, man, we should really, we should make make a movie. Let's do something. And he's like, ah, oh, you know, I don't know, maybe. And so I, being myself, I just bugged him. And he'll tell you, I just bugged him to death. And he's finally said, okay, so let's make a film about. Um, actually, I had said, hey, what if we did a film idea on the Beth and Lloyd Jones? I had read this book called Far Above Rubies about uh, uh, this lovely sister in Christ named Lynette Clark wrote this book. 
And uh, it was about Bethan and kind of the family dynamic. And I said, man, this would make a fantastic film. And so he said, yeah, let me, let me reach out to uh, the grandsons and the daughters because he, David was close to them. And they were all on board. They agreed that this would be a really f- cool thing. And uh, we were plotting how to go to Scotland and Wales uh, and England and, and do these interviews. We had no money. We're just like, let's we'll scratch together. We'll put something together with hopes that maybe we could do a Kickstarter. And then it was just like COVID shut everything down. I had talked to your director, Dan Pugh. Uh, he was going to help us if we couldn't get overseas, but even he couldn't get out of Wales. Uh, everything was just locked down. So we just had about a month of um, just like kind of down in the dumps, like, well, but I had all this energy. I was just like, let's, I want to make something. Uh, and so David called me one day and said, okay, I've got it. Cessationism. He's a pastor in Chicago and uh, he deals with you know, his own congregants and people coming out of Pentecostalism and Charismania and said, this is an important thing. I think this would make a really impactful film. Yeah, we're going to make a lot of people mad. You know, we're only going after, you know, what would arguably be the largest group of Christians in the world today. I said, all right, let's do it. So we um, still had no money and uh, we had no cinematographer. And in God's providence, I was uh, getting milk from our local farmer down the road, Farmer, farmer Brad. And um, I show up, and there's a guy filming Brad just doing his farm chores. And uh, he said, hey, this is Josh Vandermeer. He's a member at my church. He's on the elder board. And uh, he's also kind of getting into videography and cinematography. And so shook his hand, met him, and kind of went about my business. And then when we finally were starting to really get serious about cessationists. I said, well, I think I have a guy. And I called Josh up, and he was like, yeah, this is great. I think this would be fantastic. He had his, he had his own cameras, lights. So I said, well, we can't pay you yet. So would you be willing to do it if, you know, on the condition that we're going to create a Kickstarter and we're going to raise money for this thing? I said, yeah, let's do it. So we got in a car and drove to G3 2021. We had had some idea of who we would interview, but it was just kind of, we were shooting from the hip. It's like, uh, are we going to get these guys? Are we going to get anybody? Uh, you know, from David's experience, filming Logic, how they went about getting all the guys that they got um, during that time. And I believe a lot of that was filmed at Together for the Gospel. So conference time is a good time to maybe try to catch a lot of these guys in one spot. We ended up walking away with eight interviews, and we filled up both of our hard drives. God and his, his, his just... His mercy and grace just gave us some really great interviews. And uh, so I said, okay, we've got this stuff. Wait, so, so, so you guys showed up without having prearranged any interviews? We prearranged maybe three or four of them. Okay. Uh, and I think even two or three of them might have even fallen through. So we ended up grabbing some guys at the time. We, you know, um, Gabriel Hughes, who is. Uh, he does the YouTube channel. When we understand the text, you would recognize his voice instantly, but I never had seen his face. But he was, in a, he was at a booth, and I heard his voice. Like, That's the when we understand the text guy. He ended up giving a fantastic interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we grabbed some guys. We ended up, we got Justin Peters, of course, who, who this is kind of his area of expertise. And when I went to go retrieve him to bring him to our hotel where we were shooting, there was another man there 
wearing a lime green polo button down. And he says, what are you guys, you know, so I hear you're making something. And turns out his name is Jim Osmond. He was Justin's former pastor, but um, he does a lot of work with American Gospel on AGTV. And I said, well, why don't you come over and we'll interview you? And he's like, well, I'm wearing this lime green shirt. It'll be fine. Come on. So we interviewed him, and um, we actually ended up re-interviewing him with a uh, little more appropriate attire. Um, We thought maybe we could, you know, CGI the way it is now, we could change the (laughs) color of that shirt, but it just wasn't working. Uh, But we got to get back to that because CGI and AI have really helped us a little bit. Um, So we took the eight interviews we got, and we got back in town, and Josh had a little bit of editing experience, but it really wasn't something he wanted to do, but he said, I'll give a crack at doing a trailer. So we put this terrible trailer together. And it's not Josh's fault it was terrible. It was just we chose the pieces. It was long. It was just kind of boring. Mm-hmm. And so I had had the idea. I said, well, you know, there's this guy, Les Lanfear. He, uh, he's directed two films. And originally we were going to reach out to him because he's done two Kickstarters. And both were successful for both of his films. Well, maybe we can talk to him about seeing if we could hire him to help us do our Kickstarter campaign. Uh, maybe he would come on as an editor. Uh, and so we presented him the trailer. He said, this is great. It's terrible. Uh, but I can fix it. And so he took a look at it. He shot something back to us. And then he really started to like, come around. This is actually, I think there's something here. Mm. And so we ended up having several meetings with him. And before long, okay, now he's a partner. And so there's three of us. And so that's how Les kind of came on board. And he just fell in love. You know, Les is a Presbyterian. He's confessional. Uh, he knows that he's a cessationist. But just like myself, it, it was like, why are we just like, what does it really mean to be a cessationist? Um, and so even he in this process has really come around to go, this is really important. Interesting. Um, yeah. And so it just kind of, and then we ran the Kickstarter and uh, we set our goal. We set a prayer and we push, you know, all right, it's it's open. You have one month to to meet your goal. What was your goal? Our goal was $100,000. Okay. And um, why why 100,000? We thought that that was probably the cheapest we could do it for and make it look really good. Mm-hmm. Um, we just thought that if we can get $100,000, I think we can really we can we can make this, you know, David and I both work full-time jobs, you know, we were going to pay less to work full-time as the editor. Um, and so it just was like, I think we can make it for this. Uh, we kind of plotted out some trips and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, that, and so mm-hmm. with Kickstarter, if, you, you get, if, if our goal is $100,000 and we get nine, $99,995, you don't get any of it. It has to be, you have to hit your goal or more. You know, my mom was like, well... I'll give you an extra, I'll give you that extra 10 if you need it or that, you know, she goes like, <laughs> thanks mom, thanks mom, you know, always there for you. Um, but we ended up hitting our goal uh, and uh, actually we ended up, by the time it was all said and done, we almost doubled our money. Wow. So, it, and, and this is a time when people were, you know, money was tight. People, you know, the economy was changing and, yeah. and, and inflation, but people were giving, uh, they were giving big Um and so it was really amazing to see. It was really humbling. It was, uh, it was like, okay, now we have our work cut out, and we and these people expect a, a good film, and, mm. and they and the, and it also showed we had seven hundred and fifty two backers officially. 
And I know that because I went through all their names one by one in the credits to make sure we spelled them right. Um, but it was important that we did a good movie and that all these people believe in it. And so that was the really cool part about it. Uh, it was a little scary. That was a one month of like, well, we didn't see much of a change today. And then the next day, you know, we would bump up and then every day you're watching. And that's the bad part. You're kind of watching it. And, and You checked it every day, didn't you? I checked it every day. Multiple times. Multiple times a day. What were you doing? Let's stick on that for a minute. Mm -hmm. So what were you doing to, because I've done these fundraising campaigns before, but for completely different things. And I, I know the anxiety you're talking about, but there's the other element, which is how do I get this out to more people? Mm. Because there's that first wave. It's kind of like, okay, I hit all my friends and family. Uh, now we've stalled. And what do we do now? So what were you doing in that month day to day to try and get more people backing it? Yeah, you start off, you know, I was actually getting ready to, back away from social media like let me get off kickstarter or, or get off facebook and instagram and those things just to take a break and say, well now i can't because i we need to be active on there and so you know you you post and i actually it's funny i got a few people from high school it's like hey yeah this is great you're doing something here's but um it it, it really took of a life of its own after a while people would share it uh we also had the you know less came with uh the Reformed Pub, which is the Facebook group that he had started years ago based off of his podcast, the Reformed mm -hmm. Pubcast. Mm -hmm. And so he had uh, he had kind of a backing, um, and a lot of people were, who were supportive of his previous films, Cessationist and Spirit and Truth, uh, you know, they were like, yeah, I, I love the way you tell stories. Uh, I'm ready to jump on the next one. And so they kind of took off from there. I think some of it was we had a, a trailer that, some people loved it. Some people didn't. I mean, it's a controversial topic, so we're going to rub some people the wrong way. Um, and I think even some in the Continuations Charismatic camp, you know, talking about it, it puts it out there. And then um, uh, it just kind of it kept spiraling, kept growing. And then we did, uh, we did Justin Peters has a, a YouTube channel. We went on there, and within a day of doing his channel, it just it really took off. And mm. so um, mm. the people who support... Uh, Justin and, and the, the good work he does at Justin Peters Ministries, it's, you know, they cared about this. Um, they know how important this topic is. And so it was from all of that and then constantly sharing it, constantly resharing it. And then you can kind of see, you can follow some of um, the trail of people sharing it, people sharing your thing, and you can kind of, but then after a while, it, you, you lose track of, of where it's at. Yeah. Um, so it was just kind of and praying. It's like, Lord, mm -hmm. if if you want this to be, you know, you know, we trust that you'll see this yeah. movie through to get funded. Yeah. Um, so when uh, when the thirty days ended, and then you had that actual money in the bank, well, it takes a few days for them to transfer it over. Yeah, right? and, from and what I recall, Kickstarter takes their cut too. So. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think we used GoFundMe. Yeah. Some years back, we were getting a service dog for our son, who's autistic, and um, it took a few days for that money to come over. But um, that, how did you feel on that day? You you said that that okay, this is real now, but like, what was going through your head? Especially because I was talking to you, if I recall, in some of the maybe the week or two leading up to the end of the campaign. And you would be like, 
hey, so such and such ministry just gave 20 grand or, you know, a bunch of people gave this amount of money and you were not just inching closer to that goal of 100,000, but you were actually then exceeding it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it seemed like that that was happening towards the end. So you had this period of a lot of anxiety. Yeah. But um, until that money is in the bank, especially for filmmakers, it's just still just a dream. Right, until you like, have it. You yeah. just can't go forth and do it. Right. Yeah, you know, it, and you and I had actually gotten to know one another kind of in, I think we had talked to you right in the midst of that whole pro- project and that, that that early part of that. And it's interesting because um, with Les's previous films, he had created a Kickstarter, because with Kickstarter you have to create a video to kind of showcase what it is you want to do. And so he would use, you know, you know, fair use of videos, you know, from our favorite preachers, you know, R.C. Sproul, John MacArthur, things like that, to create a kind of a trailer for what this might look like. But with us, we already had eight interviews. So we were able yeah. to create, like, give you a better look at what this will actually look like. Um, so when we, you know, that was the other part I, I had forgot to mention. We had had some connections with Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary and Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. And to me, it was great to see them come behind it uh, to sponsor the film. And later, G3 came, came on as, as well, was that it shows the unity amongst cessationist Christians that, hey, we might be Baptist, we might be you know, Presbyterian, or you know, there's some Lutherans who work behind the scenes, and, um, and some bigger groups like G3 who, and, uh, who bring in people from all areas of uh, evangelicalism. Um, it was really cool to say, hey, we're a united front in this doctrine. And, um, and so seeing those big donors decide to like partner with us was really cool. So like you get through that, that kind of lull, that valley, and you come through it, and it's like... And then actually I think we had eight days left when we had hit our goal, something like that. Mm. So we were like, okay, we know we've made our goal. So mom, it's okay, you don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to help, it's cool. I don't need your 10 bucks, mom. Yeah, you can... Yeah, so um, it was it was good that kind of the anxiety lifted a little bit, but like you said, until it's like it's done, it's in there, mm-hmm. and then you know we had a we had a lady randomly send us a check for ten thousand dollars. She's mm-hmm. like, this isn't much, but I just you know we care about this and we've seen the trailer and we think it's great, so here's ten thousand dollars. Wow. Oh wow! So it it was just a real blessing, um, and then once we had the finances, we were like, okay, let's get to work. So we started planning, um, in God's providence, the Puritan Conference at Grace Community Church was yep. happening. Yep. And so we, we got our tickets landed. We, you know, that's as producer, I set up all the tickets and got us all ready to go. Uh, we were able to coordinate with uh, some of the speakers, uh, you know, Jeff Thomas. Yes. We, we, got, uh, we got him, we got... A bunch of the guys that were at that conference, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. it was a very fast-paced. You don't ever get to see the conferences when you go there to work. No, um, but uh, it, it was worth it, and that was my first time in LA, so that was a whole culture shock. Mm-hmm. Um, what? Um, okay, so you guys are in the final stage now of editing, yep. and you. you We'll get back to more of the stories from the filming itself, but I'm curious to know this is what is the measure of success for the three of you? 
and if you can articulate it, if you're able to or allowed to, would it would it differ between the three or the four of you? Because it's you, David, Les, and Josh, yeah, right? Well, we can include Matt Almy, our our art director now. That's right. Which he came in late in the game, but that's right. That's been a, a game changer as well. So, for the for the five of you, then, <clears throat> what what's the measure of success? Because, and let me just qualify that question. This isn't the typical studio model. Um, you guys did it on a very, well, extremely low budget. Mm. I think our budget for Revival was about the same. Mm. And, you know, we just did it with the skeleton crew. And you just, you get very scrappy and creative and just you just make things. It's a guerrilla warfare type of an approach, oh, sure. which I really like, even though it's there's a lot of uncertainty that goes along with it. But at the end of the day, there's a way that we have to measure success. And the way that we funded Revival is different than how you guys have done Cessationist. Mm. So our metrics and our measurement of, hey, this was a su success, let's do another one, right? Because that's always the question. So what is that for you all? Well, you know, for me, this is, I wanted to make something, and, and I think the other guys would agree that that would bless the church. Um, it's a, it's a controversial, but it's an important topic. Um, you know, who is the Holy Spirit? What's he doing? What's he been doing? Um, what's he not doing? Um, and so seeing this get into the hands of, of not just American Christians, because we all know that Charismania is, is grown here in the States, but the amount of people that have reached out to me about what's going on in Brazil and Cuba, uh, so many foreign countries where this is just, it's left here and it's gone over there and it's just like a virus spread. And so for me, success is getting it into as many hands as possible for people to see it. Um, of course, I want to make more films. I've, like you said, this guerrilla style of filmmaking, you know, you have to get scrappy. You have to get, uh, you know, you're challenged to do things you might not have done if you had more money or more people. But to me, it, it made me go, I love it. This is great. I want to do more of this, uh, guerrilla or not. You know, it's it's shown to me that this is an important way to get gospel truth into the hands of, of people, but also do it in a way that is beautiful. Uh, you know, I know you and I have talked about art and you know filmmaking and, and the beauty that's there. So, and that's where you know, like Matt Almy, our art director, which we would never have said we had an art director, and. Um, he fell into our lap, and uh, through David Lovey, you know, they, they, they're in Bible study together. And he said, I've got this guy who, he's, he's like, he's a painter. He's got an art studio, but he loves movies. He's always dreamed about getting into art direction for movies. Um, and when I say he's an artist, I say he's, like, we were told he's in the top five living artists in the world today. Uh, so we were like, this guy wants to make something with us? Yeah, let's, absolutely. And so he spent months building set pieces, like, and you'll see it in the film. It's, uh, uh, you know, hand carving stones and everything is, it's all fake. It's all, it's all make-believe. But, and that was the thing about being on set was this is all make-believe, but it's going to show on screen is real. Mm -hmm. uh, I Sorry to interrupt, but I remember you sent me some video of the studio and I won't say who, but one of the, guys working on the film 
started walking on the stones. Yeah, yeah. And that's like, no, no, don't Stop. do that. Don't walk. Yeah. Those are foam. Yeah, those those aren't real stones. You <laughs> those can't are not walk. stone. Right, right. And that's and you know, it, and that was one thing I, I unfortunately wasn't. I I had gone to visit the set in Chicago in Matt's studio, uh, when I was kind of working up that way, uh, one week, and so I popped in and got to see everything. You know, with my own eyes. It was, I got to see it partly unfinished and part of it finished, but I wasn't there when we filmed. Uh, my fifth son was born, and so is this just your way of getting out of the fact that it wasn't you that stepped on? The yeah, phone? it wasn't me. No, I was home. <laughs> it couldn't. It couldn't have been me. Uh, wasn't there. Uh, I was five hours away. So um, it, it. Les had said when he was on in, on set, he's like, he'd come back after filming all this and said, "I know it's all fake." Like I said, dude, it's going to look real on screen, and it does, and, and it does, it does. Uh, it sells, and mm -hmm. and then you don't because people don't realize how much they watch movies. You know, the whole town square and Back to the Future. You know, the the clock tower is not a clock tower. It's it's a parking lot right behind it, and there's only I think three sides to it. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's the fantasy. That's the that's the illusion. Uh, but being able to do that and and have someone come on board to help make this film richer um you know when you watch a documentary it's talking heads for yeah. an hour and a half two hours and so how do you keep people engaged how do you take the words that the, the speaker's saying um whether it's animations or uh you know a cinematic element which mm -hmm. we've brought which is new to uh less's films this is obviously new to my films but it's just like it's a whole nother level of uh of documentary filmmaking yeah so let me ask you a question on the artistic side of things. So my background is in photography, cinematography, very much about that visual aesthetic um, and also in writing. For you, let's talk about the players in Cessationist. So you've got Les who's animating. Mm -hmm. You've got David who I believe did the writing. Writing, or the theology. Story, writing, and, theology. Yep. Um, Josh, of course, is doing a lot of the vi visual aspect of things in mm -hmm. cinematography. Matt, of course, with his incredible artistic skills. For you as producer, what, how, how do you contribute to that kind of uh, menagerie of artistic skills? Yeah, it's like, hey, guys, you have to eat. So... <laughs> um, Let's but, not forget. But sure, yeah. I know there's the logistics side, and right. you can, let's go into that, of course. But would you say that you have an affinity more towards, let's say, uh, audio quality or color or um, set design or cinematography? Or is your position more you have a great appreciation for those things and you're more able to see the big picture? Yeah, for me... Basically, what what in the world does a producer do? You know, I, I YouTube that, <laughs> and there's like a hundred different videos, and they all are different. You really? Know, what does what a producer do? Uh, there's, you know, they um, there's that's a, I think it's a catch-all. Because some people lot. you'll see on credits, you know, the next producer, time you watch a movie, producer, producer right. but they were also acted in the film, right? 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 Maybe they were the lead. Uh, sometimes directors, oftentimes directors are also producers. So what does it mean, like to you specifically? Yeah, for me, you know, you ask the question, what do I have an eye for? You know, I grew up, I'm a child of the, the tip of the late 80s, early 90s, and, and so watching movies was, was like, 
Yeah. Oh, there's great movies oh, from yeah. that period. Yeah, and you go out and, you know, Friday night, mom would take us to rent movies. And so I watched a lot of, uh, a lot of movies. And so I don't necessarily know, and I'm learning these things, how to put uh, words to certain, like, what I'm seeing, the, what is it I mm -hmm. like about the cinematography? Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is about Coen Brothers films that I just, I love how they look. Or the writing, I don't know how to put words to those, but I know good when I see it. And so for me, it was, I'm seeing, you know, Josh Vandermeer, who was our cinematographer. I just mm -hmm. saw a little bit of what he'd done. Yeah. So I think this guy's got, he's just starting off too. Yeah. And he's very talented. Yeah. And seeing, and there's been several people who've commented on his, the lighting and um, how he captured things through his camera that I go, yeah, he's, he's pretty new at it. And people, and like, that's a huge compliment to him and his growing, um, uh, knowledge in, in the field. And so I love finding the right people and like talking to people. It's so doing this is fun. I like talking. It's, um, and so getting to find the people who, okay, you and you would go great together. So how do I get you two guys together? Um, so on this, on this whole thing, um, and getting people to believe in the project, like whether that was meeting with the guys, the, the, the vice president at Greenville or the president at um, Covenant Baptist to sell them that, hey, why sh this is why you should support this project. This is, this is how it's going to impact um, the church. And, you know, this is doctrines that the pastors you're training in your seminaries believe. Um, and so finding the right people to to bring into this project was like, that's what I see. And mm -hmm. that's what I love that whole aspect of it. Um, I'm starting to learn, you know, a little bit of the editing and the, uh, what it is, because I, I believe if I know better how Les does his job, I will know better how to um, help him, whether it's finding somebody he might need help with the editing. How do I find the right person? Because um, he doesn't have time to do that. He's deep in the weeds. And so for me, it's just, Learning a little bit of everything so I know how to find the people who do it. Not that I want to, I don't necessarily want to edit, but. Yeah, you shouldn't want to edit. It's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the bane of my existence. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I mean. Did that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Because I've seen that firsthand because you've been, well, you said a few things already throughout this discussion that really resonated or struck me as, oh, yeah, that is what Tim is like when you talked about how you just kept bugging David and how you've continued to bug me about making <laughs> the, the, do you mind if I mention the f names, the films that we're considering? Uh, or do you want to keep it under wraps? Mr. Man, I know. I want to talk about, I love talking about that stuff. I mean, you know, I'd love, I think you and I have had a good time talking and we can, um, oh man, I want to talk about it, but. Yeah, just keep it under wraps then. Yeah, well, can we? Can we well, you've been bugging me a lot about <laughs> a couple different projects. Yeah, and that's the hard thing, isn't it? Right? Okay, which one do we do? Which one do we choose? Mm -hmm. And um, for those listening, you're just gonna have to wait. Um, but know that I did bug him. <laughs> that's an incredible skill, though, bringing people together and the right people together, right. and being able to recognize the good when you see it. But that that makes me wonder. Are there times when you get a sense of what is good and it conflicts with one of your cr creatives? So you could say, for example, 
like Les thinks, I'm, you never said this to me ever. I'm just bringing it up as a possible example is that Les or let's say your editor is like, you know, did this animation, for example. And your sense of good says to you, uh, that's not great. You know, maybe I need to bring in another animator. Um, or Josh has a certain shot where you're like, you know, there's something about the lighting that's off there to me. But Josh might think, oh, that's a good composition. I like that. Other times, like what do you do or have you done in those times, especially as a rookie producer yeah. who probably feels that pressure of like, I'm not entitled to say anything. I'm right. new at this. Yeah. And also I'm I I'm just it, and it comes back to a fear of man. Uh, I that's something I struggle with. I'm I'm a people. I'm a people people. People person. I like people. I like being liked. I mean, who doesn't? Um so it is new for me to um to be in a position where I can man, I'm, I'm hungry. You can hear I'm probably picked up my stomach's growling. I'm grilling up some steaks oh, for you later. Good. I like that. Um so, yeah, it, it, I think I've already developed, started to develop a thick skin. Um, and it's just like, it's not personal. You know, how do we, and, you know, when you've got three, four, five guys involved now and, and everyone's kind of um, working together and there's going to be sparks, there's going to be things like that. But at the, in the end of the day, it's like we want to make a, a good film. And, um, and right, so, so the, the, end, the end game is the same for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Even though I did ask you that question earlier about how each of you measure success. Mm. And I would love to get the others in here and be like, what is it for you? What is yeah. it for you? Because of course there will be differences, but the end game ultimately is the same, which it sounds like is to to impact the church today and in the future yeah. over this very important topic. Right. But um, But the way you get there can sometimes be different there can be conflicts of interest. That's sure. the wrong way to phrase it. There can be differences of opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's, um, and when you get this many people involved and, and all these players, and it's, uh, it's, you kind of have to juggle it. Um, and, you know, so there's lots of talking, lots of meetings, lots of, mm -hmm. you know, okay, we got to come to some kind of compromise. And then ultimately, like, I mean, where we've landed with the film, and we've done some screenings, and so you hear, people how they feel about it what they think about it um, and and so you take all that back and it's like and, th and then you also have your deadline so that's something Les has never had in the past was the deadline with his other films he just made them by himself mm -hmm. um, and now you know we've got uh, a big conference we're going to premiere it at with G3 and you know things have to get done we have to get DVDs printed and all this stuff has to happen so it's like you're running out you're watching the clock tick and it's mm -hmm. just like in every Mission Impossible movie where you know they're defusing the bomb, and you've and you're watching the clock tick down, and at the end yeah. it's it's going to go bang. Yeah. So, so you've told me that um, I know this information about you because we talk almost every day. But uh, <laughs> yes, we do. Don't we? <laughs> is um, so before. So you you were working a full time job. Mm. You've now stepped away from that job, even just indefinitely, maybe not permanently, but definitely indefinitely um how are your days spent you're yeah. now a full-time movie producer yeah congratulations i know you've like I, you've I, arrived i can kind of own that and it's weird to say it like you know i i i've you know it's funny watching previous podcast episodes and 
you know, people were talking about their degrees and, you know, these amazing things they've done. And I was like, yeah, I took time off from college in 07 and uh, haven't been back yet. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so I, I found myself, you know, I'm a painter by trade. That's what I've done most of my life. Uh, painter as in painting houses. Mm-hmm. And um, get married, have kids, and got to provide for the, for the family. And so uh, I finally found myself where we're at. We kind of fast forward, here we are, and um, we get to a place, you know, you talk to the wife and you pray about it and you go, okay, can we make, this is a risk. Um, now, I will say the company I worked for previously as a fire door inspector, it's a really niche thing. Um, but, you know, they said, hey, if it doesn't work out, you got a place to come back to. Yeah. So, like, it's a risk. I took a risk. But it's like, mm-hmm. did I really? Because I have an opportunity to go back if I had to. Yeah. But it was one of those things. It was time to, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, my days are different. Yeah. Now, I, I, I was a full-time, quote, filmmaker for a week, and then my wife gave birth to our, our fifth child. And so uh, she was like, you're going to be home for, like, three weeks, right? <laughs> yes, I'll be home. For so, so I, you know, I was... I would kind of dabble at night, you know, answering emails, you know, um, reviewing clips and things like that. But for like the first three weeks of being a new filmmaker full time, to be able to own the title, I was full time, you know, uh, stay at home dad, helping yeah. with the family and yeah. new baby. Yeah. So, so yeah, here we are, and uh, my days are spent. Um, you know, we've been. I've watched the film. You know, wake up, watch the film, take notes. Um, you know get on phone calls, go, okay, what do we need to change? Where, what needs to be reworked here? What, mm-hmm. uh, so it's just little things, uh, planning the conference. Uh, we're going to have a booth at the conference, so I'm kind of in charge of taking care of a lot of those things. Yeah. The little menial tasks that, that need to get done while, while um, Les and David are finishing up their ends. Mm-hmm. So, what's the, what's the hardest part of your, your role now? Uh, versus when you were working full time and producing, because you've eliminated that major time suck, mm. but also with it a source of income. Right. But um, now that you're able to focus a hundred percent, well, apart from time with your family, of course. Right. What's what's has proved to be the hard? Have there been any major surprises for you? Things you weren't expecting to have to deal with, or that would kind of come with the role. Well, I will say, you know, previously it was like just fit it in when you could because I have to go to I have to go to a job. I have to, you know, um, I have to. I traveled a lot for my previous job, so like I, it did afford opportunities. Okay, I'm going to be in a hotel for a week, uh, so I won't have the kids, so I can use that time after work to focus. Um, so, but what I'm really finding is like, even though I had essentially two jobs, well, now it's like I'm still up late at night doing things. I'm still mm. reviewing things, answering emails. Like I think you and I talked about it. It's like, it's, it's different. Um, it's not like a nine to five anymore. It's in some senses, it's almost like weirdly full time. Like oh, I've got to take this call. We just sat down for dinner and you know, my wife's looking at me like, no, okay, we're not gonna take this call, but I gotta, I gotta call that person back. And I gotta, you know, so there's all these, these little things where it starts to, to, um, expand so it's like you've mm-hmm. got this opportunity so now it, it fills in those gaps mm-hmm. pretty quickly um yeah it goes from it goes from full-time to all the time yeah yeah so and i've worked freelance for many many years uh up until i got this job at rhb and um that was the struggle 
is is putting in place those boundaries. Yeah. Especially because when you do that type of work is suddenly I do have more time to spend with my family if I want to. So it's almost like it gets to a point where every, not just hour, but almost minute of the day is my responsibility to make a decision. How am I going to spend my time in this minute or these next 30 minutes or, or whatever? And um, depending on each person's individual circumstances, for exa- meaning, for example, like what um, – what about your wife? Like, does she, is she a stay at home mom? Does she have her own career going? Is she doing studies? Like I've been through all three of those as well in our family and they each require a different response. But yeah, there's that nagging sense of I could be doing something more right now. It's hard. It's really hard. You, you, (laughs) I think you sent me a message the other day. You're like, I'm getting a haircut in the middle of the day. <laughs> yeah, like, like I can do this now because I'm not at a job site. Right. I, 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 yeah, I can, I can go get a haircut. Isn't it glorious? It is. It is nice <laughs> to be able to. But you know, it's like, oh, I could also run home at one o'clock in the afternoon and hold the baby for an hour because my mm-hmm. wife needs to take care of something. Uh, do you work out of the home or elsewhere? So we live out in the country. Um, I don't know if I've said y'all yet, but it's. You're welcome it's, to say that on oh, this podcast. Good, good. Um, yeah, so saying I live out in the country means we don't have internet. Uh, I did just go get us some crazy big hotspot. Uh, so I can work out of the home, but we're starting to outgrow our home with all the kids. So finding right. a place to, uh, and my children range from nine down to the newborn. So it's very, and four boys, like, and my daughter is loud enough to be like three or four girls. So it's very loud in the home. Um, and so I, I have a, a couple of churches that I can go work. I have offices that okay. I can go work at. Um, you know, uh, my father passed away. Uh, it'll be two years in February, and so mom's kind of back to work a little bit. She's semi-retired, but so I, I like to go over there and work as well. I can I can kind of hang out with her a little bit, but mm. it's it, mm. it, it it's nice to be able to spend some time with her and use yeah. that as a place to work. Yeah. So. So yeah, I kind of bounce around. It's like, mm-hmm. and it's kind of cool to go work. Where do I want to work today? Yeah, I'm gonna work from home, but I'll maybe I'll work tonight on the couch after the kids go to bed, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, you've now mentioned um, death twice in our conversation, mm-hmm. and I know you and I have talked a little bit about your family history and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And so let's let's hold that kind of. Um, off to the side for a minute. What I wanted to do a minute ago is kind of trace things back because you race really fast through. <laughs> it's my fault. I need to slow you down. Through, um, like your childhood growing up and your love for movies and your mom's, uh, you know, influence there somewhat. But then um, you said you were a painter and then you got married and then the fire doors and now you're a movie. <laughs> like that's a pretty interesting history. It's not yes. like, you know, I went to this elite high school and I knew when I was a kid that I wanted to be in film school and then I went to USC film school and then I started, you know, that whole journey. And I have friends who've been on that journey. Um, Not to say that they've been very successful, That meaning some of them have, but not everyone who goes to film school ends up going into film and TV and that's fine. I mean, I was a history major. You know, I I didn't start off in film school and here I am 
doing this. So right. just walk us back a bit because somewhere in that story arc of yours is, you know, your personal testimony. And I, but I want to hear that first. I want to hear Tim's journey of faith somewhat before we get on to the, the death question. Sure. Yeah, so I grew up uh, in a Christian home. You know, we went to church. Uh, I'm actually the, my grandfather was uh, an American Baptist minister in the American Baptist Church. And his father-in-law, my great-grandfather, was a Southern Baptist minister. So traced back to a couple generations of pastors. And and this is down in Kentucky? This is in Indiana. Okay. So I'm, so I say Louisville, Kentucky, I'm, I'm like right, I live on the border. Yeah. And so you just tell everyone, and you have to say it right, it's Louisville. But hold on a minute. If you live in Kentucky, are you from the South? Yeah, I guess you technically are. What about Indiana? I don't think so. <laughs> uh, that's why my dad never wanted to tell people I was from Kentucky. Uh, you know, so I, I, you, when you live on the border, you just tell everyone because no one knows where Henryville, Indiana is. Yeah. Um, though right around the corner from my house is the farmhouse where Colonel Sanders was raised when he was a child. So it's still sitting there. Someone lives in there, actually. Anyway, so... Um, yeah, I grew up in the church home, uh, and uh, we were faithful going to church every Sunday. It was, uh, it would arguably be called a progressive liberal church in a lot of ways. It's definitely gone that direction more now. Um, having been in the Louisville, Kentucky area, most of the pastors in the churches, the Baptist churches, came out of Southern Seminary in the liberal days. Mm-hmm. So even like the pre-Al Mohler. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, like, the pastor I had most of my life graduated in, like, 78, and so that was right in the heart of the mm-hmm. really liberal days. So mm-hmm. um, it was a weird time because there was a lot of what I now see as progressive theology, but there was also a lot of uh, poppy, uh, Rick Warren, mm. purpose-driven life. So there was this weird blend of Southern Baptist and American Baptist, and they're very different, but... Um, so I saw both those, you know, I was a regular, went to youth camp, went to summer church camp. Um, you know, I think a bunch of people got saved a couple times going to church camp. <laughs> um, you know, and actually that was, that. you know, you talk about putting a pin in maybe a, a time in my life I went to church camp and everyone was going forward getting saved. Mm-hmm. And me and my buddy Josh were sitting there like, well, we don't want to be the only ones up here. So we went down. Well, of course, the youth pastor hears, knows, sees, he sees it, he's right there. So you get back to church on Sunday. Tim went forward. So, and then that followed by, well, he's got to get baptized. And so I did all. I did that. So you had to keep living out the lie. Yeah, yeah. And I did that from about, I want to say, thirteen or fourteen till I was seventeen. And uh, it, as I grew in my understanding and kind of like hearing more of the gospel, I was like, this is. That was a lie, and, it, mm. and that weighed on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, when I did get saved at 17 in 2003, you know, I, I went before my whole church. And now I look back, and as a progressive church, I, I think they thought it was sweet, but it was a sincere moment. I went before them all and told them that I'd actually, I've, you know, I've come to saving faith in Christ, and um, but I've been lying since I was 14 because you all were here. You know, this is a church that everyone grew up, the, the old folks were the same old folks. They were old when I was little, and some of them are still with us. Um, 
and so they, they watched me grow up. And so I went before them and told them I had lied. And, mm. and I, I trust in Christ now. But I, I hadn't at the time. So that was a, a, a turning point for me. And then shortly after, you know, going to college um, and seeing God's grace in a secular, progressive, liberal arts college, uh, I went to, I think, it was the number one party school in Amer- Indiana University okay. in Bloomington. And, uh, and God kept me through that time. Hold on a minute. Let's go back a minute. You so you were saved in a progressive liberal, you said well, American yeah. Baptist church, and, and the reason why it's not <laughs> how did that happen? Yeah, um, and Is not it even s- possible. Yeah, not to say that there were some lovely, godly older folks there that mm-hmm. um, that church had had taken a a turn as as it went into the nineties and two thousands. And would you attribute that to new leadership coming in or just ideas seeping in? Yeah. Uh, a little bit of both. I mean, uh-huh. um, and we can get into this later, but uh, one of the youth pastors took us to a Southern Baptist um, weekend retreat thing, and the gospel was clearly presented. And that's when, like, I hadn't quite heard it like that. What made the difference? Like, what was different about that presentation than what you'd been hearing every Sunday or at the the other youth camps you'd been to? Yeah, it was a lot of, it was always, you know, it was very moralistic. Um, like, how was Jesus and the gospel presented differently? Well, this guy who, and I, I know he's still around, his name's Nathaniel King or Nathan King, Southern Baptist pastor, um, but he had, you know, you go to those things and they tell you, like, with every eye closed, every head bowed, raise your hand if you want to receive the Lord. But there's like, you know, and this guy's like, no, we're not going to do that. You know, he said, we're not, we're not here to do that. And, hmm. um, what, you know, he, he, it wasn't a sinner's prayer. It was, you know, I, I remember the sinner's prayer. Um, you know, the altar call growing up was, it was there. It was kind of a weak, you know, come forward, talk to the preacher. But there was no, just, there was no, full gospel uh, presented um, growing up. So when I finally heard that at that youth, at that youth gathering, um, I think out of, I want to say, I remember there being like 400 kids or something. I think three of us had, because we had, I had gone down to, to speak to him and there were only three of us. Mm. And so it was... Um, oh, wait, so he, instead of an altar call in front of everyone, he's like, just come talk to me afterwards? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And so it was that it, takes that whole yeah. peer pressure element off, right? Which you get the you go to those weekend things and they you know what they call it uh, the the mountaintop experience. Yeah, yeah. Where oh, I go. had like six of those. Right, right. Yeah. And this was just radically different. Yeah. Um, it wasn't that. It wasn't some like hey, and then you're gonna and then you're gonna fizzle out, which is what happened. You know, mm-hmm. like you said, you had a bunch of those. Yeah. Um, and you can't wait for summer camp because, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get that give high my life again. to Jesus again. Right, right. I'm gonna be serious about it this time. This time, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's exactly, you know, that's exactly um, what it wasn't that last time. And so, and I remember calling my dad, and and I was away, and just saying, and and my dad was, um, 
my dad read the Bible to us at home and, and talked to us. And there were some, it's funny, you know, we'll get to this, but he was a continuationist. And so, so, so there was some of that growing up. But I called my dad and I was just so thrilled to tell him, you know, I, I know who Jesus is and, and, and that I'm a sinner and that he saved me. And so I remember just being so excited to tell him. Mom too, but you know, Dad was that he was that he was the rock of the family. He was our oak. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, it there was that, um, and then, but what was missing when you get back is there's no discipleship. You know, there was no one to really. Yeah, especially being at the church you were at, right? Right. Interesting. It wasn't until really, you know, I'd gone to college. I'd found. And there's no church. like. Sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. there's no at that time. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there's no even like online discipleship. Yeah, that, like that wasn't see, a thing. Today that. you can go to YouTube and be like, find people. Right. And at least get some kind of like in input or download. Right. Yeah, that was, this is so 03, so the internet wasn't like it It was. You know, yeah. there's still dial up. Uh, you know, <laughs> someone calls the house and you're kicked offline. Um, so it was, uh, there wasn't anything like that. But later on, you know, I became a product of the young, restless, and reformed. You know, so I had left that um, more progressive. Uh, and even the church I ended up at later in life, where I met, ended up meeting my wife, um, it at one point had been, you know, there was the, the, the issue with um, the emerging or the emergent church. So you mean it, like the whole like Rob Bell yeah. stuff? Yeah, Rob yeah. Bell, I think was it was a guy, Pageant was his last name. Yeah, um, who's the other? Brian. Brian McLaren. McLaren yeah. uh, but then you also had like Mark Driscoll on the other side and uh-huh. at, who was leaning more towards the Calvinist reformed yep. side. Yep. And so by the time I got into that church, they had kind of left that emergent. It was mm-hmm. like some of that flavor was still there, like setting the mood and and, you know, lights dimmed and that atmosphere at the time, which I really liked, but uh, that was where ultimately I I really come to understand the doctrines of grace, hmm. and so and later on met my wife there. Um, now that church I would argue has gone in another direction, you know. So, okay. Um, but uh, how did you? How were you introduced to the doctrines of grace? Was it? Let me give you my story real quick. Is I we were going to. Well, I was raised at John MacArthur's church, but I, I was too young to like understand much of it. And then we moved up north, like central California, for my high school years. So it wasn't until later after I got married that we ended up somehow at this small little independent Baptist church. And the pastor was handing me like uh, Luther's commentary on Galatians and you know, here's Calvin's Institute, like that wow. kind of thing. At an independent... He saw that I was hungry for it. Right. And um, and so that that was my introduction. And then he was he was taking me through um, like a Timothy course, right? Okay. But this is before I started seminary. And uh, that's where I was introduced more explicitly to the doctrines of grace. I mean, I, I probably heard them at MacArthur's church when I was growing up, but sure. I, I didn't have the faculty to understand at the right. time. So anyway, for you coming out of that, it's a really interesting journey, like yeah. progressive liberal church, here's the gospel for real. What was the difference in, what was the time frame between, yes, I'm actually truly 
born again to this next level, you might call it, of the doctrines of grace? Yeah, it, it, there was a couple of years of just kind of... And how were you being discipled during that time? Um, there wasn't a lot for a while. And then I, re- I, I moved back home and reconnected with uh, a friend of mine, my friend Paul, and uh, he's now a pastor in Mississippi. Um, but Paul and I, you know, both single guys, so, and he had gone to seminary. Uh, he had graduated from Boyce Bible College there in Louisville. He said, hey, let's, let's get together for dinner. And actually, it's funny, I'm the one making the movies now, but he's the one that in high school we talked together. We'd like, let's make movies. Uh, and so he was also, in a funny way, it just now popped in my head that he was there when we had talked, we were reading scripts in high school and mm. things like that. Mm. But he had said, let's, let's get together. So we'd go to IHOP, International House of Pancakes, not to be confused with the one that we talk about in the film. Um, yes, may their name not be mentioned. That's right, that's right. Um, <laughs> Which someone did say in a screening, you know, you should put International House of Prayer so people don't think you're talking about the pancakes. Uh, you, you probably should, because when that title came up, I'm like, is that guy the CEO of That's right. IHOP? That's right. Man, no. I love his pancakes. IHOP. His theology is terrible. His pancakes are awesome. <laughs> uh, so we would go to IHOP, and we'd get a booth, and, and one day he, he brings this giant book, this big tome. I've never picked up a book that big. And he slides it, slides it across the table, and he says, Dude, check this out. This is called a systematic theology. What's that? This is Grudem, man. This is Wayne Grudem. This is like the thing. Okay. He said, you can have this. And so he had another copy, and then we started just going through it together. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about it. And so he was kind of, and at the same time, we had both started going to this church I had mentioned. It was called, uh, it's called Sojourn. Now they have Sojourn Network. They were early church in the tide to Acts 29 and mm-hmm. all of that. Um, and so we had started going there together and that I would say Calvinism was being preached from, from the pulpit or the music stand, if you will, uh, you know, too cool for pulpits. But, um, so between him and, and church, I was getting this dose of like this doctrines of grace stuff. And like, mm. This is, and you know, a lot of people, I've talked to a lot of people who I really struggled with this part of the tulip or this, I didn't struggle with any of it. It just, it was like a weight lifted, knowing that God's in control of all these things. Um, you know, people struggle with limited atonement. I was like, this is awesome. Mm. Um, so for you, the doctrines of grace or tulip, if we want to call it sure. that, brought, brought what, just a level of clarity yeah, for you? Yeah, it was one of those, where was this? Why wasn't I taught mm. any of this? Which I th- I've heard a lot of people say that. Like, And had you been reading the Bible yeah, yep. meaning that often happens for us when we get saved. It's like, I just want to consume this book. Right. And you just start reading the Bible a lot. And then you come across the doctrines of grace. You're like, oh, wait, this matches. Right. This is coherent with you know everything I've been reading in, especially New Testament, right, mm-hmm. in, in Paul's letters and the way that God is portrayed engaging with his people in the old and so forth. Right. Yeah, so it, 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 it all this made sense. What I was reading in Scripture and what I was seeing laid out in this, you know, and I had people telling me, oh, systematic theology, that, you know, what, I guess you would call them what, biblicists, who, like, mm-hmm. that's where it's not in the Bible, so that's not a thing. Well, okay, it's taking all these things and putting them in a systematic format. So, you know, being able to open it up and go, okay, this is what it says about, man 
and it matches with what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. And most of the systematic theology is just pointing you right back to the scriptures. Yeah. So it just, it, it was like a, this wave of just, I don't know, it felt, I hate to use that word, it, it was just right. It, it, I, had no, I had no qualms with it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I had a friend who was like in this with me. And so together we're like learning these things. And I remember he picked me up one day and we're sitting in his pickup truck. He's like, you got to hear this. And he pulls up on his old iPod. It was new at the time. And he's like, this is called the Shocking Youth Message by Paul Washer. Mm-hmm. Well, we're both like two grown guys, like practically weeping in his, in his mm-hmm. truck in a parking lot somewhere. And, and we had paint, we were painting together too. And so um, he listen to John Piper. So we started, so that was kind of my gateway into the quote, young restless and reform. Yeah. Uh, so what year was this? This would have been at this point, 08, 09, 2010. Um, and so it's funny at the same time I was listening to John MacArthur, the same time I was listening to Mark Driscoll and you know, those two are kind of, they were at odds in a lot of ways. Um, so yeah, yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, well, and I remember... I was at... No, so I went to Master's Seminary. Mm. I think it was the year after I left. Well, I was in England by that time. But when Mark and... Uh, what's the Harvest Bible guy? Oh, James McDonald? Yeah, they showed up together at the uh, Shepherds Conference or uh, something. Well, I know Mark showed up... No, they showed up at Strange Fire. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Oh, no, so I was there. Okay. I was there during that conference. Okay, yep. They showed up. What a crazy time. Yeah, you know, it's it I look back on I never got into James McDonald but oh man, I used to love listening to Mark Driscoll. And I think I, there was a lot I learned, a lot yeah. of good that I picked up um from his early days preaching and but I remember um it was we can go to Strange Fire conference and and I was already married at that point and that was like really when cessationism clicked for me. Was so not until then. Cessationism didn't click, so we're kind of we're tracking along. Didn't click until Strange Fire Conference because I had, you know, I was reading Piper and, and Storms right. and some of these guys that... And your dad is a continuation. And my dad had some continuationist thought. Um, I was actually going to ask you is, you said that you called your dad from that camp mm-hmm. when he felt like, okay, I've actually met Jesus. Like mm-hmm. something's, this is different. This is different, right. And um, you mentioned that a lack of discipleship, but how... How much of an influence did your dad have on your growth as a as a new believer? Well, at that point, I mean, it was shortly after I was seventeen, getting ready to turn eighteen, and and I'd gone off to college, so I went away from home. Oh wow! So okay. I wasn't really home. I mean, dad, I knew dad was praying for me, and I knew you know when I'd come home, we'd talk about things. But I I, I pretty much got saved, and then I I left home. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, I, I was at, I was at that age where it's like. I can get away. I'm free. You know, I look back on all the times I wish I'd, you know, I could have been home, but, um, yeah. And you mentioned going to like the top party school in the country. <laughs> what a, what a challenge for you as a young man to be like, I'm saved and party time. And yeah, we, you don't have to go into details, but I could imagine that being extremely difficult. It absolutely was. You know, I found a church down there, which looking back, it probably was pretty, loosey-goosey when it comes to, you know, kind of evangelical. But that was like a, it was like a, a respite to get there and go mm-hmm. and, and connect with those people. 
Um, and I connected with a couple of guys that, that were solid believers. You know, theologically, I don't know if we'd agree on everything now, but, but I thank God for them in that time. Um, so the Lord had placed these little, little places of, of, of um, I guess, protection yeah. through, that, through that. You know, I, yeah. I was there, what, two and a half years um, and then I came home for a little bit and then, you know, kind of, um, moved down to Florida. Did like, just, ah, I gotta get away. You know, uh, I was an actor at Universal Studios for like a minute and, uh, and then I, and then dad had a heart attack and I came home and, and, mm -hmm. um, and so that's when I, that's when I plugged in with my friend Paul and we started getting together. And so I feel like we're telling this in such a nonlinear way. We're just like, you know, put the cue card up that says, you know, some time ago, or, <laughs> or you know, do the dream sequence sound and. What's that? Mo what's that movie where it's completely out of sync? Is it Memento? Yeah, Memento's backwards. Everything that's a Chris Nolan film. So everything <sighs> yeah. is like you're watching the ending, and like it's like I haven't seen that. So that's in a what long we're time. doing here. We're just yeah. throwing our listeners right. for a total loop. They're gonna <laughs> have to piece it together, <laughs> and it, it's like. Puzzle, like that's right. a puzzle. That's right. This is just a. But you, but you did jump ahead to Strange Fire, and then you mentioned that mm -hmm. that time you were married. So what? When did marriage happen? Yeah, I met my wife at, at Sojourn in 2011, and um, and by this time you were fully into this trajectory of reading these these great works. Yep. And just going a lot deeper with your understanding of faith. And yeah. I absolutely reformed was. doctrine and all that. Yeah, I would I would definitely say I was a Calvinist. I wasn't quote reformed. You know, we're we're reformed Baptists now. Um, What's the difference for for those people listening who don't know? Because a lot, you've probably seen this even on Reformed Pub. That's mm. another shout out for Reformed Pub on go. Facebook. Is I think there's a lot of confusion for people who are Christians who love to read Calvin. Most people I know don't read Luther, unfortunately. And we should rectify that for the big guy on my right. But Sproul would be on your side on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you're if you're a Calvinist, aren't you reformed? Oh man, I feel like this is like question way out of people, my league. I don't want people to get mad at you. But oh yeah, I'm making a movie called Cessationist. They're gonna be <laughs> mad. Like that's like long gone. Uh, worrying about that. You know, I I remember it was like. Being reformed, it's like, oh yeah, like I think even like Driscoll had like um, a website, something about reformed reformation, and it's like, uh, and and Jeremy Walker later on wrote a book contending with the um, new Calvinism, and so I think what we see now is reformed. A lot of it's just new Calvinism. This idea of embracing the doctrines of grace, the the, the five points, um, but. You're not necessarily confessional. Um, you don't adhere to a historical uh, confession. Um, a lot of the there's no regular principle of worship. Those types of things aren't aren't present in churches that would consider them. Some would say they're reformed. Even the the term reformed Baptist now gets thrown around. Um, and I know a lot of old reformed Baptists. Eh, those kids aren't reformed Baptists. Um, <laughs> but uh, so terms change. I mean, if you ask certain Presbyterians. I'm not Reformed because I'm a Baptist. Um, but uh, being confessional, you know, my wife and I just became members at our church. Um, 
And so adhering to the 1689 London Baptist Confession, understanding that we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us, that we're not just doing church uh, on a, in a bubble in history, that um, so many of the things that we deal with that you, that you see like bigger evangelicalism dealing with, we fought these fights already. Mm. But because you've steered away from the creeds, the confessions, uh, the men who fought these fights, we're just dealing with it again. Um, yeah, we're seeing a trend right now, and I think it, it started a number of years ago, but it's this longing on the part of mostly evangelicals, which I would say is the broadest group. That's the broadest terminology we could use mm -hmm. is just, uh, you know, broadly evangelical. Like right. a lot of people even self-describe as that, is um, there's this division that's been happening or a, a, like a trend towards the more traditional, mm. or on the other hand, they're, they they kind of go way off. Yeah. And so, and it's happening kind of throughout, not just the evangelical church, but others I've heard as well. So, and I th I'm sure you've heard of uh, people, <clears throat> I guess you could call it like those who are deconstructing, and then you've mm. got those that are going into like Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Anglican, um, more of those historic expressions of of faith. Sure. And uh, yeah, it's been really interesting. But then you've got other people that are like yourself who are like, well, no, we're not going to go all that. We're not going to overcorrect that far. Mm -hmm. But you still want something that is historically grounded, which is the creeds and confessions. Right. Um, yeah, historically grounded and yet not so far as some are going. Yeah, it's like why pitch. not go further? Is is it an? This is me playing devil's advocate. Sure. I don't know if I need to say that and qualify that, but for those listening who don't see the smirk on my face, <laughs> <laughs> is it a far enough correction to go from being, well, of course, going from progressive liberal to a more to like Calvinistic? Sure. Right. Good job. Well done. But is it? Should should people be correcting more and choosing one of the, how would we call them, the big trads, big traditional churches? Or is it enough to say, well, now I'm at a church that has creeds and confessions that ties me back so strongly to the Reformation period? Is that enough? Well, I think it's, you know, I can speak for myself. It's, um, you know, it's guys like Dr. Beakey and the work that RHB does that in the books I've gotten to read and, and under, discovering the Puritans. And, and it, it almost goes back to what I said, well, where was this stuff? Uh, mm -hmm. No one ever taught me about this. Well, yeah. you can track the history back so far. And then for me, it's like, okay, well, I see where that break was with the Reformation, the, the corrections that were made, um, and the, the, the things that were wrong in the Roman Catholic Church, those things. I, so... God has given me the discernment to go, okay, well, I'm not going there. Um, but also, like you said, there's guys going the other direction, this deconstructing that's that's really big right now. We're seeing, it's like, it's not, like, I'm not surprised now when my favorite Christian rock star is now an atheist. It's like, okay, like, it's no surprise. Relevant Magazine is going to share the next guy who just deconstructed. Um, so for me, it's, it's, 
um, being trying to be, you know, I'm just a layperson being a student of history and going, okay, well, I can see where the corrections were made in the church. I know why the creeds and confessions are there. Um, and so understanding this, this confession that I hold to, that our family holds to now, we, we said, okay, we're in agreement with this. We're going to join this church. Um, it's, that's the, the buck stops kind of there in that regard of not what you would call, I guess, overcorrecting into what some people would say, swimming the Tiber, going mm-hmm. back towards, mm-hmm. going towards Rome. Or mm-hmm. um, I know some people who've kind of, they get, fall in love with the high church stuff. Um, but yeah, for, I can just kind of speak for myself. Um, it, it, was, it was men like Beaky and uh, Sproul who, you know, Sproul's not wasn't afraid to talk um, about Aquinas and some of these guys who were uh, on the other side, or even Luther, which a lot of people don't like to talk about Luther, as you kind of pointed out. But those were my heroes that kind of helped me, uh, guide me, and the Lord used them to, to guide me to where, I, to where I'm at. And then, obviously, you have your guys in your camp, so Reformed Baptist camp, yeah. that have, have yeah. been uh, important to me um, to kind of help me land where we've landed. Mm-hmm. As a family, and for my wife and I, you know, it, I guess we can go, go back again. Do it. Let's uh, let's, let's, let's let's flip back. Uh, um, so, when my wife and I got to, when we got, we started started dating or courting, as we called it. We had read um, Joshua Harris, who deconstructed. Deconstructed. Man, we're just gonna. <laughs> it's like it's gonna look like you know, like a crime scene <laughs> map. Um, you know, we had read. Um, I think it was. Boy Meets Girl, which yeah. is about his time courting his wife. And, and courtship was kind of this thing that had come back up. Um, and I think how we did it was great. Um, I think there are people who take that stuff really to extremes or, or um, don't adhere to any of it at all. But for us, you know, I met my wife at uh, a, a movie night. And, um, and I said, I asked somebody about her, and he said, oh, don't even try. She's undateable. That's what my buddy, my buddy Steven said. And I said, oh, okay. But later on, I found out she's not uncourtable. She's just undateable. So apparently a lot of guys at the church had, like, tried to ask her. I think she said, well, you got to talk to my dad. And so I said, okay. And and the other guys didn't want to do that? No one wanted to do that. <laughs> one guy talked about, she had told me later that one guy talked about, oh, he's going to love me. And, and, you know, she could have called her dad and said, dad, this guy's going to call you. Like, and he would just shut it down right then and there. But... Um, I had met her, and we had sparked up a, a conversation on on Facebook, and said, "Okay, so what would I have to do if I wanted to take you out for coffee?" She said, "Well, here's my dad's number; you can call him." That's rad. So, so that happened. I think we knew each other maybe two two weeks. Then the next day, I called her dad. I called him by his first name, and I was like, "Well, that's done. I just I should have called him Mr. Dillman, but I <laughs> called him by his first name, and uh, but he." I find out later he hangs up the phone really quick, so he didn't hear it. Uh, so he said, yeah, let's get lunch. So then the next day we got lunch, and then he said, okay, yeah, um, I think, you know, this would be something I would approve of. And he talked about marriage and these things, and he was being a very attentive father, that he cares about his daughter, and he wants to be able to trust the hand that he places his daughter's hand in. I'm like, this is heavy stuff. Like, I just wanted to take her for coffee. Um I said, yeah, and so we started started this courtship. We're like, okay, we're in this thing where we don't know, we hardly know each other, but it took all this weight to impress her. Like, there was no need to impress. Uh, and then 
two weeks later, I get on an airplane and go to Alaska. So I was in Alaska for almost three, maybe two and a half, three months. Mm -hmm. And so we all we could do was talk on the phone. And we're mm -hmm. four hours time difference. She'd stay up to like three or four in the morning. And we would go through, um, I had my ESV study Bible, and in the back it was kind of a, a, a small, short, concise, systematic theology. And we would just yeah. go through it together. Yeah. And well, what do you believe about this? What do you believe about that? And so we had this joke of just saying, we're on the same page, like the same page. And she was also showing that she was willing to submit to like my thoughts and 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 obviously we were not married yet, so she she mm -hmm. doesn't have to mm -hmm. submit to me. But uh, it was just this wonderful like she's like I want to hear what you have to say about this, yeah. which caused me to go, what do I think about this? Right. And so I had to really, really delve into that. Yeah, and I'm sure it wasn't a thing where it's like, hey, everything that the ESV Study Bible says, I agree with. Right. I'm sure there are points where you're like, well, that one I'm not so sure about, sure. or right. Or they could have said this with more clarity. Right. And at the, at the time, it was it was just what we needed. Mm -hmm. And later, you know, when I went to her dad to ask for his permission to marry her, he said, he said, yeah, but I want you to write for me what the canon family statement of faith would be. Wow. So <laughs> now, and it wasn't some big surprise. You're giving me ideas here yeah. for what to yeah. do with my daughters. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> this 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 is a totally different podcast episode now. Uh, That's how what, this runs. What man. movie are we talking? Uh, you met her at a movie night, so I we'll did. get to that. Yeah. yeah. So so um, so what is the? No, you don't have to give me the whole canon statement. Well, I was going to say, honestly, I don't remember what it all was, but we got together and I sat down. And I said, we have to come up with this. So it wasn't like some so surprise with that I was your gonna, wife to be. Yep. You're like, hey, oh, so you didn't just do it yourself? No, we sat down together. Interesting. Because okay. I wanted to know her thoughts. Yeah. Now, if you ask me that today, I would go, well, here's the 1689. This is what we adhere to. Mm -hmm. But it was a really great exercise in, in what do we believe? Mm -hmm. um, and so that was, that was kind of nerve-wracking and fun. I presented it to him, and he said, you can marry my daughter. And so, uh, wow, proposed. And three months later, we were married. So That's worse we, than him sitting across from you with a shotgun. That's, that's right. <laughs> I'd rather have that than ask for a statement. <laughs> you know, I, I maybe, maybe that would have been would have been easier. Um, but, you know, we, we will be married 11 years uh, in two weeks. Wow. So, um, wow. And five kids later. So Yeah. Uh, the, the I, I just feel like we need more. We need to hear more stories about men like that, like your father-in-law. Mm. I need to hear more stories like that. Sure. You, you know, know, just that there's these men out there who are willing to, um, who was it? There was a guy the other day who was talking about, like, being a dangerous dad. Mm. He was speaking in the context of child trafficking because mm. they, like, interviewed these child predators, and the guys were saying, like, yeah, we specifically target children based upon their, their father yep. or upon the parents. And if it's a weak man, that's a target. It's if it's a target. strong man, right. we look elsewhere. Sure. But I could see how that principle applies even to a father and his daughters mm. or even a father and his sons. Yeah, it's, it's, you would almost say it's like a situational awareness of, of you know, getting a feel for, you know, I, my daughter's three. So it's a long time to be thinking about that, but it's something I should already be thinking about. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, what are the caliber of men that, that at the time, you know, I look back on some, I know some of the guys who are interested in my now wife, and it's like, like, she would not have cared that you sat in your basement playing video games all day. Like, that's not going to win her over. Um, God in his grace, you know, gifted me with uh, motion sickness, so I can't play video games. So it's, uh, That's a huge blessing. It is. It is. I have my own other, like, issues with screens, but, but you know, uh, you know, everyone's got their phone in front of them now, but yeah. video games was never something I had to wrestle with. But, yeah, he, you know, the whole courtship thing wasn't done perfectly. It wasn't, you know, there were mistakes made. and But ultimately, it was exactly what we needed to to honor the Lord and, and her and, and um, what it was we were planning to do, which the goal was to get married. Even from the first day, it was like, okay, well, you know, so much of the dating culture is just, even in the church, it's just uh, how many broken hearts are there in the mm-hmm. church because people aren't mm-hmm. intentional about the way they go about their dating. Um, and not to say, you know, her and I didn't both do that previously, but the, the Lord was gracious to us, and it was just what we needed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, That's a powerful story. I, I know there's been a lot of pushback against Josh Harris and mm-hmm. his books and the whole idea of courtship. Mm-hmm. But man, I even if I think about my own life, it would have things would have. I just honestly think they would have been better if I hadn't dated, mm. or as much as I did, right? You know, or just kind of been more focused on preparing myself to be the right man for marriage mm-hmm. than just wanting to be with someone to be married. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I. I always. You know, it was one of those things that I always thought about, you know, wanting a wife and, and kids. And the Lord has greatly blessed me. Um, you know, I, I, I still have to stop and go, I've got five. It's a, it's a weird feeling. Yeah, you're almost Catholic. <laughs> almost. Or, or, yeah, you know, people, you know, we're at that. We're Presbyterian. That, yeah, or the same. I was going to say Mormon, too. It used to be. <laughs> uh, you know, you're at that, we're at that size now. People start to give you ugly looks. Not just oh, not just uh, the oh look at this cute little family, but it's like the real like oh, you're just you're just you're taking up all our resources. <laughs> so so um, you met your wife at a movie night, mm. fitting. Yeah, don't need to know the movie. Um, Terrible movie. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to know the movie. So how how was she feeling about this whole career change? Well, you know, we had talked about it. Um, she was present all those nights that David and I would be on the phone talking about ideas and just, you know, a lot of talk. And so she knew it was like, oh, it's it's kind of cute. You like, it's good to talk. It's good to uh, fantasize about those things. And but she didn't think anything would come of it. Did she have any idea from the courtship period that you had an interest in making movies? Not at the time. It was so... that You guys were too busy talking about doctrine. That's right. That's right. It, you know, it, well, it was one of those things that I had gone to school for TV, radio, uh, and communications and culture, so I took a lot of film classes. But when I kind of left all that, it felt too, like, way too out of reach. So I just kind of filed it away. And, didn't, and so it didn't even come up. Why out of reach? Is that because you mentioned earlier that you didn't finish school? Yeah. So was that one of the factors, or was it just the industry itself? I think for me, it was, yeah, it was 
a lot going on at home with family and kind of coming back to, to be closer to home with uh, dad's health and my younger brother and just it just kind of my motivation for any of it kind of was kind of shot and that mm -hmm. was like and so then you just kind of you grab a job that that you can you know provide and at the time just providing for myself so um and then just next thing you know you blink and it's the years have gone by yeah um it's so interesting to me your story because there's uh for young men today, guys that are your age or a bit younger, I think I'm probably about, I don't know, 10 years beyond you. Um, I'll be 38. Yeah. So not th not 10 years. Good. <laughs> <laughs> it's not 10 years. Um, <clears throat> I thought you were younger. I know. It's, it's the mustache. It's the mustache. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Which I've only had for like six months, so it's like exciting. There's so many poor role models for mm -hmm. guys – your age, my age, and especially younger, it's like just do what you want and the things that we're supposed to pursue and go after and instead of what I think you're mo you've modeled, and of course not perfectly, but um, let me just list a few things I've heard that really resonated. Number one is you try to get away from home for a bit going down to family, uh, going down to Florida, but then came back to family when there were some health issues. You met this girl who became your wife, and you, sure, I'm sure you dated before that, but um, when, when she laid out the terms, you were like, okay, yeah. like, you're worth it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down that road. That was a scary road to, like, even oh, con sure. to consider because there's nothing like I'd ever seen or yeah. done before. yeah. In fact, I think when I was younger in, in L.A., I met at least one or two girls that said the courtship thing, and I was like, no, no. Like, yeah, right. not for me, you know, just because it was a scary thing. I had no idea what that even meant. So anyway, that's number two. Number three is, okay, you have this percolating idea of making movies, and we could trace that all the way back to your early childhood, but you realize no i've i've a family support i've got a wife i've got you got kids coming in one after another <laughs> yes right <laughs> and um it's like gotta go to work yeah and um i actually didn't realize that you were in college for communications and mm. you know things having to do with media and radio and film so there obviously there was a desire there mm -hmm. and then you end up being like i didn't even know about a job called fire door installer right but it paid fine yeah in fact i from what you've told me it, it was decent pay mm -hmm. and um it's it's a good job right i mean i think a lot of guys your age would be very blessed to have that job yeah and it was a good company to work for yeah like, so not just that but like um it seems like so many people are concerned about their their title mm or the company brand you know like everyone wants to work for the tech companies these days whatever it is and you're working for a company that most probably no one's ever heard of doing a job that most people hadn't even considered and yet what was important to you is the people you were working with it sounds like they were good people mm. they are good people and you're 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 able to support your family have a little 
little piece of land out in the country. That's right. I mean, come on, man. <clears throat> Technically, I'm a she- I was a shepherd. And we had sheep, so we just got rid of them. But, but yeah. So. And chickens. And chickens. And ducks. And geese. And rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a homesteader. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll go into that the next time. Sure. But um, these are good things. Mm. But let me let me throw a a curveball at you then. No, actually, this is more of a fastball. Yeah, I was a swimmer, so so uh, I, I wasn't good at catching a ball. So. <laughs> okay, I'll throw you in the water polo team. Okay, so what um, what are you gonna do? Yeah, like filmmaking is so um, uncertain. Mm-hmm. So, what are you gonna do? Well. You know, what I found is, first off, what was a big encouragement to me coming into kind of the Christian filmmaking world was how willing to help um, others in the business were. You know, just um, from the guys at Media Gratier, I remember two years ago when we talked about this, you know, Teddy James uh, over at Media Gratier, you know, he was a huge encouragement to me. Yeah, this is great. Do it. Let's be ready to dedicate the next two years of your life. And he was almost right on the money, two years. Mm-hmm. And so, and then people willing to help in the whole process, um, you know, landing a guy as awesome as Les Lanfear, who, who's made these other films, and, and he believes in this idea that we have and comes aboard to, to join us in this. And so, um, and I've connected with others in the business too that um, I've brought this up to several people and said, hey, you know, we're all like we all have the same goal in mind, and that's to equip the church with good material, whether that's teaching, documentary, you know, uh, you know, like even Brandon Kimber at American Gospel, what he's doing over there. Everyone's been super uh, willing to lend their time, uh, even if it's like you know a quick conversation, phone call. You've given me every day of your life since we've known each other. Uh, you know, even if it's like ten minutes. Um, but I've talked to several that said, hey, you know, filmmaking is kind of changing the landscape with streaming and all of this is, it's, it's unknown, it's uncertain. So we need to band together. Like, what can we do to, to get together? Me being the type of person that likes to connect the people. So I've talked to others that said, yeah, I've been thinking about that. It would be great, almost like a coalition. What's it look like to, to gather together? So not, we can all make our own stuff, but how can we help one another? What can we do to... Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, encourage each other. How can we um, give each other of our time and our efforts to to see that project come to be? And so, those are kinds of things I've been thinking about. Like, how do we map out our own future with this? Because mm-hmm. uh, it's changing. It's it's different. You and I had the conversations about streaming and DVDs and uh, distribution and those kinds of things, which most people aren't thinking about those things. And I wasn't thinking about those things until I found myself making a movie. Well, how do I get it out there? How do I get it into the hands of people? Uh, you know, how do I provide for my family doing this? And so all these questions have um, been things that I've wrestled with. And that's a big one you ask, like, what's next? How do you do this? Um, and so trusting the Lord, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he gave me the opportunity to step out and do this full time. And so um, it's a little scary, but being able to just... Lord, we want to make good things that honor you, um, that are good for the church. And so help us do that. 
Yeah. So what is next for you? Any idea? Or is it still mostly mm. focused on cessationists? Well, we do, we do have a, a study series that we'll be working on over the coming months as cessationist wraps um, on cessationism. So if, if, if cessationist is a 30,000-foot flyover, as I like to think of it, kind of into the doctrine, <coughs> the study series is like, well, here's your machete. Now we're going we're gonna to go through the jungle. And we're going to kind of maybe things that we couldn't get into in the film for time's sake, we can delve into in the study series. Um, a lot of the same players... Um, and uh, the goal is to have a study book that people can do, like Sunday school classes. Uh, I think we're going to have it as a six-week study, so something short, sweet, um, but helpful to to maybe expound upon what we did in the film. So that's definitely next. That's that's already in the works. Um, you know, I have a desire to see Christian films that are more narrative-based. Um, problem is getting good at you know it's like where do you find good actors where mm -hmm. do you find mm -hmm. good actors that maybe are christians and i'm not saying they're not out there um but we're seeing in the quote christian film world it's really bad movies they sugarcoat everything they spoon feed you everything they, they're light on doctrine they're light on these things and not that you necessarily want to make it you know, doctrine heavy but right but the, what is doctrine it's truth and yeah. so uh, yeah. stories that are full of truth um, that are told in a beautiful way. You and I have talked about a lot of that. And so I have ideas, um, but all those ideas are kind of still quiet. <laughs> <laughs> to, be, uh, to be continued, mm. yeah. yeah. And I'd love to talk about those because I want to talk about them after the cameras are turned off. So Yeah, we'll talk about it tonight. Well, um, dude, let's wrap this up Yeah, because I'm really hungry. Yeah. I think the and we have steaks that I need to cook at home. <laughs> <laughs> my producers are running out the door. <laughs> um, Tim, it's been really good having you in the studio to talk about cessationists. And I want to make sure that, well, and our listeners know that we are trying to get you and the rest of the, the team of cessationists in here. That'd be great. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And um, talk more about the, about the film, especially after it's out. Mm. Um, where can people find information about the film um or information about you yeah well there's not really a lot of information about me um i don't even know my own twitter handle um you can go to cessationistmovie.com uh we're on the g3 if you go to the g3's main website uh, g3 is partnered with us to um promote the film and get it uh, we're going to be premiering it at the g3 national conference in september so that's really exciting. Uh, we'll have a booth there, so you can come by and, and say hey. And um, I, don't, I was gonna say get your picture taken with the cessationist, <laughs> uh, but you know we're gonna premiere it. And uh, that's and then, a great marketing ploy, actually. Right. It, lo it, it looks like getting your picture taken with a random person. Uh, and continuationists and cessationists do look alike a lot. Um, wow. But so you can find it at cessationistmovie.com, G3's website, um, and. Uh, we have a Vimeo link. I don't even see. I'm not even prepared. Was, so um, I'm just yeah. throwing these at you. And I can always put links in the description, yeah. which I will do. Uh, but um, the main one is cessationistmovie.com. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, one last question for you. Okay. Because I meant to ask this earlier. Sure. What is, 
what is the relationship between cessationism and being a capital R reformed Christian? Hmm. I know we could talk probably about this for another hour. Sure. But I thought that might be a good point to end on because I want people to, I want people to hear from you why your film in particular is so important. Well, you know, it's interesting. It's a scene, there's a scene in the film and where one of our interviewees says, um, we're talking about continuationism and cessationism in history. He says, uh, dealing with the Anabaptists of the day who were a lot, a lot like charismatics of today, um, that to be that on one side is not to be a Protestant and to be, you know, with Rome, and the other side is not to be Protestant. So actually, he says, you're not a true Protestant if you're not a cessationist, which that's a really bold statement. It's a very strong statement. Yeah. You're going to make quite a lot of people I think a so. bit angry. Sure. Um, but, and we get into it in the film, um, and we show a lot of the history of, of how modern charismania looks very it's just it's kind of like there's no nothing new under the sun mm. um and then you know we go to our, our confessions and like it opens with the talking about the holy scriptures and that god has now spoken in this and so really it comes down to uh how is god speaking to us today and how he's speaking to us today and we know he's speaking to us through his word um and we also talk about in the film you know it uh it is kind of a trump card to say well god told me well, who am I to say that God didn't tell you? Mm -hmm. Unless, you know, we know that he didn't speak to this pastor or TV evangelist. Yeah. Um, and you have guys who we love, you know, Piper Storms, Grudem, Carson. We love these guys. They all sit on my bookshelf. I've, I've benefited from all of them greatly. And yes, they are Calvinistic, but, um, you know, these, these ideas that they hold to, you know, we talk about it in the film. Um, and we talk about them respectfully towards these these men. Uh, you know, they're not the same as uh, Benny Hinn, but where is that? There's a there's some blurring there that goes on. Um, so, man, yeah, we could really get into some really controversial. Let's end it on like really like uh, it's like oh man, I really like this guy. And oh, now I don't like this guy. And now so, he says I'm not a Protestant. Right. I <laughs> when I heard that, it was it it was like a well, yeah, I mean, for me personally, I would I would say like I need to hear that argued out. Yeah. Now I've seen your film, mm. or at least a, a cut of it. Yeah. Um, but it's a it's a it's a provocative and yet intriguing mm. argument. Yeah. And and I, so yeah, it'd be great. We won't do it now because we are going to wrap up. But it'd be great to hear that fleshed out. Sure. From. I forget who was making that statement. You don't have to say their name right now. But also when you when you guys come in as a as a as a team, yeah. filmmaking team, it'd be great to dive like probe deeper some of the things that are being argued by various um, interviewees in the film. Yeah. yeah, and I think uh, to to kind of conclude, you know, I hope it sparks a good conversation. Mm -hmm. um, there are lots of of brethren on the continuationist side, uh, and I. I made the movie partly also because I love them and I want them to know truth. Uh, and I believe what it is we're claiming in the film. And so, yeah, it's, it's hard things, but, um, you know, the wounds of a friend, it's like, I love you, so 
hear that hear this mm-hmm. um they might not you know all, we've had plenty of times we've talked to our friends we've tried to tell them honest or provocative things that they needed to hear and they don't want to hear it i mean mm-hmm. i'm guilty of it myself uh, but that's i hope we spark a great conversation i look forward to watching the movie continuationist you know if someone does it um so yeah well, thanks, dude. Uh, it's pretty crazy that you and I are meeting for the first time <laughs> in the flesh yeah. here uh, on some random podcast. I know. So, I mean, we've talked for a long time. And so. But we may not have had such a deep conversation. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And we have so many other th- things I could have gotten into. I want. I did want to talk about death because I know that's a big deal, big part of your story. Mm. Um, some other probings but we'll we'll have you in again any excuse to come up and buy rhb books is <laughs> an excuse to come up so i'll drive the five hours yeah all right man thanks a lot thanks brother yeah thanks everyone